That's very Johnny, in it? Oh, I like that. This is the Dogger Saints podcast proudly presents, and we are delighted, nay, honoured, to have an absolutely brilliant, wonderful guest on tonight. This has been a long time coming. I'm Sam Miller, by the way. Danny, who usually on the podcast with us, uh, will be back for our next episode. We've just not been able to get all three of us in a room at the same time, but our first ever guest is an absolute top fella with an incredible story to tell. His time at St. Johnson was short uh, when he joined uh, under Billy Stark in 2002, when his 11-year stint at Kilmarnock ended, but his time after football has been nothing short of inspirational. It's a word I can't use enough. He's released the book, and I'm going to read exactly word for word what it says in the back, because I I can't put it any better. So known to most as Mavis, meet athlete and ex-professional footballer Mark Riley, whose daughter Dion suffers from Rett syndrome, a currently incurable genetic disorder that affects brain development. Coached and inspired by the late, great Tommy Burns at key moments of his career, Mavis played against and alongside household names such as Ali McCoyst, Henrik Larsson and Paul Gascoigne and was a mainstay in the Kilmarnock side that won the Scottish Cup in 1997. During his time as a footballer, Mavis developed a character and resilience that would set him up for not only responding to Dion's need in a positive light, but also for the gruelling physical challenges that would take over on that he would take on to raise funds for Reverse Ret, a charity with the sole focus of finding a cure. One of these challenges was the Marathon de Sable, the toughest foot race on earth, in its hottest year on record where the temperatures regularly exceeded 50 degrees Celsius. So drawing on the themes of positivity, determination and hope, the book The Lives of Riley takes you from football pitch to consultancy room to desert, reinforcing the power of positive thinking and pushing limits and achieving goals. Touching, poignant and funny, Mavis's story is proof that even the darkest times light can be found and the seemingly unachievable can be conquered inspiring throughout and and without further ado the dogger saints podcast proudly presents uh, a player who well many players have done the the west coast east coast kind of crossover paul wright for one kevin mcgowan most recently matty kennedy but st johnson fans will remember the bells hill cafe sean rooney from scoring his cup double but there was an original bells hill lad way before that who should have been nicknamed the bells hill perlo i would suggest it's mark mavis riley how are you very, very over generous, I think, Sam, with that intro. <laughs> Have you never been referred to as the Bells Hill Perlow before? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's our first. Um, it's not the first time we've spoken to a Scottish Cup winner, certainly, um, and you were very lucky to do it with Kilmarnock, along with um, Perth native Kevin McGowan, who he tiled my bathroom floor about two years ago. What a lovely fellow he is. Um, but... Your time at Kilmarnock, well, kind of came to an end after a, a very decent 11-year stint. What made you make the, the decision to, to, to come up to Perth? Um, I'd spoke to Jim Jeffries. I knew Jim Jeffries had obviously come in and was looking to bring his, his own players in. I knew he was bringing Stevie Fulton in. And you just get the feeling, my, my, tenure, my time at Kilmarnock was coming to a natural end. And obviously the big reason or the big attraction for me at St Johnson was Billy Stark, who mm-hmm. I'd worked with. I'd actually played with Billy as a player, teammates. Okay. At Kilmarnock, obviously, he was assistant to Tam Burns. Um, so Billy was someone that I had so much time for as a as a person, as a human being. He, 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 he was a great guy and he was also a fantastic coach. So that was that was the big attraction for me initially, the big draw for me to, to come to St. Johnson. 
had you spoken to anybody about coming to the club and maybe previously played for them? Because obviously, like I said, Paul Wright would have been had played with the club previously as uh, the first name I can think of top of my head. No, I didn't actually speak to I actually used to travel with, with Paul Wright, uh, affectionately known as Bunyan. So I travelled <laughs> with Bunyan every day uh, to Coman. I used to pick him up in the mornings at East Kilbride. Um, but no, I didn't actually. But I knew Jim Weir. I was friendly with Jim, so I knew Jim quite well and, and still in touch with Jim um, periodically. He's done some challenges with me um, since that. Um, obviously, I'm really friendly with Big Kevin. But I didn't actually speak to any players about the club at that time. As I said, the the main draw for me was was uh, Billy Stark. And yeah, he was. Um, he came in at a, a really tough time for the club. It was a bit of a transition period with all the success in the late nineties with St. Johnson, and we kind of dropped down the divisions. Um, a lot of players had came in, you mix with Pat Line and Simon Donnelly, so it was a um, a bit of a changed squad all round. Very few kind of the players at the time. Maybe Jim Weir was still there at the time. Players like Stuart McCluskey and a couple of the youngsters were still coming through. What was the dressing room like at the time? Was it a good bunch of lads, from what you can remember? Yeah, no, it was. It was a great bunch of lads. Um, as you kind of touched on there, some good experienced pros. Like Big Mixer was a fantastic professional. Um, you'd obviously like Jim Weir, myself, um, you, you know, and, and several others. But obviously, as you say, it was a transitional period for the club where they were looking to, to get back up to the, to the Premier League. And some good young players as well. You'd obviously... Um, Paul Hartley maybe wasn't that young at the time but obviously went on after St Johnson to, to play with Hearts and had a great career at Celtic and young Ryan Stevenson who was kind of trying to break through at the time as well went on to have a, a really good career later on with, with Hearts again as well so there was a really good kind of balance between kind of older senior pros who were coming to the end of their career guys like myself and Mixer and some good younger younger players unfortunately we didn't quite have enough to get our goalie winning the winning the league and get and getting back up into the, the Premier Division. In that sense, it was probably one of the most disappointing periods of my career because I never actually wanted to win as bad as I did at St Johnson to get up, mainly for Billy Stark again, because I thought, you know, he really deserves it. He was a fantastic coach, he was a great guy. And we wanted desperately um, to win that championship for the couple of years I was there, but um, kind of just fell short. Obviously, there were some other good sides in the league at that time as well. I think, yeah, you know, your fault. Yeah, Falkirk and Inverness, wasn't it? Yeah, Falkirk, Inverness, Clyde were strong at the time as well. So, yeah, it was it was difficult. It was it was frustrating, very frustrating that we couldn't couldn't achieve our goalie winning the league. And, but looking at Billy Stark's kind of uh, career moving on from St. Johnson with the, the Scotland setup, he'd done done remarkably well. So there was certainly no arguments about his uh, pedigree as a as a coach or a manager. Yeah, no, and uh, but, but Billy was first class. He was an excellent coach. Um, managed people really well. Treated people with respect. It's fantastic in the training ground. Um, it, it just never quite happened at St. Johnson. Um, as I say, we had some some good young players at the time um, and some good senior pros, but for whatever reason, it's difficult to put your, your finger on. It just it just never happened in terms of winning the league. Maybe just got to be honest enough to say at that, that period, 
maybe the other teams that kind of mentioned were maybe slightly stronger that won the league. Yeah, it was just one of them things. But to be fair, um, where was I going with this? Um, yeah, um, I described you earlier on as Perlo. You did certainly chip in. You chipped in with two or three goals, did you not, at your time with the club? Yeah, I think I did. I, I mean, I never scored too many in my career. I can remember one, I think it's because it was a header <laughs> late on. It's been in the south, I think, the late Andy Gorham was in goals. Um, <clears throat> I don't think we played particularly well that day. And as I say, I think I got a kind of last-minute equaliser. Um, but yeah, I can remember that goal, I think, because it was a header, which was quite unusual for me. Any goal was unusual, especially a header. <laughs> You'll take it. Um Talking about Jim Weir, this kind of uh, you're still kind of pally with him. You said you did some challenges. We've spoke to Jim, and most mornings back uh, when he was training for his Ironman, you'd see him out pounding the, the streets of Perth. Did you do training for him for these events, or was he just kind of advice and bouncing back and forth about nutrition and fitness and stuff like that? No, I, I think he kind of credits me or blames me for for getting into the Ironman. Um, but no, obviously the. The, the kind of distance in terms of I'm still I'm in the Uddingston area and Jim's obviously pair so it's difficult to with work commitments to actually train together um, but no I knew Jim was Jim, Jim was training training hard for his Ironman and he was always a he was a tremendous athlete Jim he always was being back to playing days he was he was a he was a great athlete fit, obviously got that bad Achilles injury um, but he was always someone who kept himself in really good condition so no, no surprise to me they went on and, and did a couple of Ironman events yeah as he's, did, he's terrible at drinking though by all accounts <laughs> as did Big Kevin that's maybe more surprising that Big Kevin did an Ironman Aye. And, and did did fantastically well I mean I'd... let's talk about um, your charity challenges um, I know being a big Kilmarnock man, it might be the story might be more familiar to Kilmarnock fans. But uh, you've re- released a book on um, on all your events, kind of. Well, it, it covers your football stuff as well, but predominantly it's on your 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 charity uh, work. Uh, it's called The Lives of Riley, and it's um, a book basically covering which, not my words, the words of Pat Nevin here in the back, an astonishing account of an amazing man on an epic journey of self super heroic proportions. That's good words from a, a top fella. Yeah, we Pat's a great guy. Um, I was fortunate enough; he actually had a, a book launch himself at the Waterstones that I was at, um, and then he had a wee, a wee one the other week at Kilmarnock as well. So, no, again, kind and generous words for, from Pat. But no, he 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 was Pat was a great player and a great guy as well. That's it. Um, the charity work uh, you do a lot of work for uh, Reverse Ret. Um, for people that don't know, can you do you want to explain to us uh, and the listeners just what Rett syndrome is, and maybe the the background uh, regarding why this why this charity is so important to you. Yeah, it's a kind of rare genetic condition that mainly affects um, young girls. Boys get it as well, but it's to do with the chromosomes, X and Y chromosomes. So boys generally don't normally survive beyond birth. If if they do, they don't live too long. Hence, why it mainly affects girls because they've got the the backup with the with the X and Y chromosome, etc. So it's basically just a, a mutant gene um, that can form. There's no uh, signs of it initially. It, normally you see development of a condition between about 6 and 18 months. Um, in my case, my daughter Dion, 
she she became um, she was refluxing numerous times a day, so she was being sick. There was no sign of crawling, walking. Um, so that was the first signs we saw that there was something not quite right. So there's various things comes with Rett syndrome, like seizures, um, scoliosis of the spine, etc. So the con- the condition kind of kind of renders people, no matter how capable they are initially. Um, eventually, you know, and my daughter's the same. She requires twenty four seven care, so um, she needs to be fed. She needs to be clothed. She can't walk, can't talk. Um, and as the years go on, it progressively affects the the child or then the adult. Um, probably what we say, you know, um, short and lifespan. So quite a horrible condition, to be honest. Um, and obviously, this time for it, but they do reckon it'll be the first curable neurological condition. They did reverse it uh, in the lab in 2007 in mice, so there is hope, um, and the hope that the crossover, you know, if they find a cure for it, can also help maybe people with, with Alzheimer's, etc. as well, so so there's hope there. There is, yeah, I remember seeing something last week about there's um, a chance Alzheimer's could be kind of either slow down or reverse as you say it's um we're moving forward with this uh technology now which is which is great news for you but i remember it's such a rare uh illness would that be the correct term um that you you had to go you couldn't well there wasn't a diagnosis at first you couldn't they couldn't put their a pinpoint on what was um what was causing it with dion no that's correct Obviously, as I, I, I kind of described there, once we got to about 18 months, you know, she was back and forth at the hospital, the sick kids hospital in Glasgow uh, for tests, etc. And eventually came to the conclusion, they didn't really know what it was, but they knew there was something not quite right. They didn't think it would be curable. So they basically said that she's got global development delay, which is just really a broad spectrum for there's something wrong, but we don't really know quite exactly what it is, but we don't think that they are be a cure. So I actually went on holiday to Florida and it was pouring a rain one day and I googled neurologist and there was one about twenty minutes from where we were we were staying. And I managed to get an appointment thirty minutes later. So met with the doctor. He was he, he was astonished that we couldn't get a cure or not sorry, couldn't get a cure, couldn't get a, a diagnosis in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, they asked some questions, did some physical movements with Dion, so we were there about thirty minutes. And he basically said that, yeah, I, I, I don't think that your daughter's got is curable. I don't know exactly what it is. He said, if you want a diagnosis, I can get you one in three weeks. I just need to take about 17 blood samples. And the reason it'll take three weeks is about four or five of those blood samples need to go to the other end of the States. He says, but I'll be able to get you a, a diagnosis within uh, three weeks of what, what condition your daughter's suffering from. And it was, we come back home about two days later, and it was actually about within two weeks. He sent us an email to say your tests have come back. Your daughter's got a condition called Rett syndrome. It's a rare condition. I suggest you Google it, read up on it, and then give me a call maybe when you come to terms with it. Um, maybe in a couple of weeks, and I'll try and answer any questions I have. So that was how Dion was diagnosed. Quite unusual, but yeah, it was a. Uh, 
it was very beneficial because it prepared us for, so for example, Dion had major surgery a few years ago in her spine with scoliosis. So we knew things like scoliosis could come, curvature of the spine, potentially seizure, sorry, um, which thankfully Dion um, doesn't really suffer from to date. So, but yeah, no, it was, it was good to get that diagnosis. Yeah, and going on from there, obviously you've wanted to raise well, um, raise as much awareness about the, um, the condition as possible uh, with a number of uh, physical challenges, certainly, and mental, uh, to boot, um, with Marathon's Ultras and all culminating in the Marathon Disabled. Now, I'm not expecting listeners of the St. Johnson podcast to be well aware of what the Marathon Disabled is. I was aware. I've run marathons previously. Um ridiculous amounts for no reason because I'm stupid but the Marathon de Sable can you explain what that consists of because I was telling my dad earlier on and his jaw just dropped and he was like that is unbelievable um, would you like to explain in your own words what that entailed so the Marathon Sable is a it's a self-sufficient race which means you've obviously got to carry your own your own food for the week and you've got to carry um, your sleeping bag etc so everything you need for the period you're in uh, the race you must carry yourself the only thing the organisers will provide is water and salt tablets so the race takes place, it's 156 miles across the Sahara Desert so you basically start from point A and then you run to point B day one, so it's over five six stages if my memory serves me right um, day four is always the longest day so that's always in the region of every day is different so the terrain and the distance every day is different but it averages in the, in the region of a marathon a day but day four is a long day so it's always in the region of 50 plus miles through the night um, the year I did in 2021 was quite an unusual marathon de Sable in terms of there was a stomach bug ravaged the camp and I think the dropout rate normally is in the region of just over 10% but the year I did it was almost 50% due to the stomach bug the, the extreme heat so it was almost 60 degrees every day as well which was extreme it was October because of COVID it's normally March, April race but it got cancelled because of COVID and the organisers decided to still run with it, but do it later on in the year. So the Sahara had a, had a heat wave that summer that kind of carried on over in October. So as I say, it was almost 60 degrees. Um, tragically, a French guy died in day two in the sand dunes. Um, and one of my tent mates, who was a completed Ironman 19 times for Great Britain, um, he took a cardiac arrest was dead for just under two minutes but um, thankfully he recovered um, and he's safe and well but yeah it was quite a it's an extreme race in a normal year in 2021 with the with the stomach bug and the, and the heat made it particularly challenging and yeah just yeah just as you touch on there when somebody who's did multiple Ironmans representing their country, country at Ironmans if, no, if you're not aware again listeners what an Ironman is it's a basically a, it's like a 5k swim or three, is it 3.4 kilometre swim? Yeah 
Yeah, about two two point four miles swim, open water swim. So it's either a lake or the sea. And then you do hundred. Yeah, mile uh, swim and sorry. Hundred twelve mile bike, um, and then after that you're on a full marathon. A marathon at the end, just for a bit, just for a bit of fun with cut off times as well. <laughs> nonetheless, I had actually signed up to the Hamburg one last year, but oh, I picked but... I picked up an injury in January, um, and I just couldn't get um, fully fit for it again. So I'm. Um, of going going back in twenty twenty four, so that's the that's the plan. Oh, fantastic! So, but anyway, going on from your run, Ed, the conclusion of your marathon disable, home safe and sound. Home safe and sound, and on to the next adventures. That is it. Um, but you were probably you were appro- probably you were approached by uh, David McCarthy, um, who is a very well known sports journalist with the record, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, to to tell your tale of. Of your exploits, uh, from football to to everything you've done afterwards, uh, how did it go from that initial meeting to to having a, a release paperback? Um, yeah, David had contacted me after I saw a couple of posts I'd put in social media around the event, and he contacted me and basically said, "Look, Mark, I think there's a book in this. I'd be I'd be willing to write a a book with you." Um, Initially, it wasn't something that it's not really my kind of thing. I thought it was an incredible um, offer from David. Um, he then went on to say, "Look, I would I would like to do it for nothing. I don't want to, I don't want any money from it. I don't want any money from the book. Um, just any proceeds we get from it can go to charity." So I thought it was an incredible. T- kind gesture from David considering I know how busy he is as well so it went from there to um, David interviewed me several times a week um, over Zoom and put the story together he would send it to me for checking and then we progressed from there to um, a co-writer Dixon Telford getting involved Dixon's also a publisher as well so then Dixon kind of looked at it as well and he, he interviewed me for a, for a bit and kind of expanded the book, etc. Um, and then published the book. So that's a really kind of quick version of how the book came about. It probably took close to two years for it from start to finish. Wow. So a, a lot of work um, put in by David and Dixon that you know I'm very grateful for. Um, and I was really pleased with the, with the end product. Um, it's, I, I was one hoping the book would appeal to different people. You know, there was football stories in the book that went weren't necessarily about my career coming through. Although it explains it a little bit, a lot of it was kind of funny stories about big characters I played with and played against. And then there was obviously the the events from Iron Man to Marathon Disable, etc. Uh, and there's also the third aspect to the book is a parent. You know, any parent I think could identify with maybe what I'm going through with, with Dion and her condition. So there was kind of three different aspects to the book and it had a kind of positive mindset theme running through it as well. So I was really pleased with the with the outcome and and and, and the way the book um, turned out. So, no, it was great and grateful to both of them. Exactly, and that was actually you took my notes. Uh, my book club notes that I've taken down was uh, the theme of positivity running throughout, taking negatives and turning them into positives. It's something that kind of went through, like even through the the worst hell you went through, you still managed to find ways to to keep positive and keep going, and finding ways to kind of 
not banish demons, but you know what I mean, just to kind of keep 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 a positive mindset, which is ridiculously important in this day and age with the, the with mental health being such a, a widespread topic as well. Yeah, no, definitely, and and I've always I've always said, unfortunately, I've never suffered from mental health issues, but I do think the the best antidepressant out there is exercise. Um, I think it's fantastic for them. I don't mean you don't necessarily have to go and run the marathon to Savile or run marathons, but just getting out there and if it's just walking or getting some fresh air, it, it does you the world a good. It does indeed. I, I, I've said that for, for long enough, just getting out and getting a fresh air, take the dog for a walk, anything at all, just a bit of fresh air will yeah. certainly do you the world of good. Um, we'll touch on two two last final points. We know your time is very, very precious and I really appreciate it. Um, you've launched the book. Um, where is you able to purchase this book if anybody listening wants to do such? You can get the book. It's say Dixon's got his own publishing company, so it's an independent publisher which allows more of the, the money from the book to go to the charity rather than your big publishers. So you can get the book at namelesstownbooks.com. We will we'll post the link as well out to that. And you, you had a couple of book launches in Kilmarnock as well for it? Yeah, I had a, a book launch at Kilmarnock and I had one at Motherwell as well. So we had two book launches that went really well. So I think I think there was um, probably in the region of maybe about 300 people at both of them so no, it was great did you have John did you have John Gagan there was he at one of them did I see John Gagan was John Gagan was um, we had a kind of format where you know I would I would talk and Dixon and David would interview me and then the audience would ask me questions and we had a guest speaker on so the guest speaker at Kilmarnock was John Gagan and the guest speaker at Mud was John McKelvey who was also an after yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard John McKelvey. He did ours. Uh, he did my one. I did um, like ten marathons in ten months. He came down to kind of compare and do his wee bit. Um, he he's hilarious. Like if he's always kind of does the kind of after dinner speaker circuits. I need uh, Gagan and um, John McKelvey. Absolutely superb guys. Yeah, no, it was great. Both of them are fantastic. And obviously, I played. I know John McKelvey. I'm friendly with John, and obviously, I played with John Gagan at Motherwell as well. Mm-hmm. So it was great that both of them could could come along and, and do it. And, n- and neither of them took a penny either, which which was fantastic. You know, uh, very obviously from hearing this, a lot of um, very generous uh, people out there, especially with their time and, and expertise of what they can do. Um, We'll finish up. That's not your, all your challenges done, though, yet, uh, Mark. Um, I believe you're putting on your uh, your dancing shoes. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find out about that? Oh, yeah. I have I have spoken. I have done the. Uh, I've done some plenty of research for this. Um, but yeah, your charity work never ends, does it? No, no. I, I was hoping you'd actually ask about my running and, and skip the dancing. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was at the Commandment Player of the Year dance at the end of the season and um, I basically got Ray Montgomery kind of put my name forward. So they asked me if I would take part in Ayrshire Does Strictly. So it's basically Strictly Tom Dancing. Very similar to the to the show on the TV. They've, they've got an ex-professional dancer that's on the, the Strictly as one of the judges. So it's the Air Race course on the 30th of September and I'm dancing the Paso Doble. Believe it or not, have, have you done much so, practice other than watching videos on YouTube? Yeah, 
we get a we're professional dance partner that we dance with on the night. Um, so there's eight, four guys and four girls. So there's eight, eight dancers, eight professional dancers. So you can appear up with your, with your partner and they basically teach you how to dance to the event. So I'm maybe been trying to, it's difficult just to fit everything in with work, etc., and family life. And I'm training for a marathon as well and two big dogs so we try and cram everything in but I have been going for kind of lessons maybe about twice a week at night after work um, for the last month or so how are they going? Um, you know it's difficult Sam it's not easy um, I think I've kind of got the routine in my head walking pace but then going through walking pace the actual quick pace dancing with someone and then thirdly trying to then incorporate that into the music and going to the beat of the music it's actually really difficult I, I can only imagine uh, my dancing skills are strictly um, kept indoors certainly not on a night out either um, but it's all towards the charity it's all there to help um, the local community in air so we'll also share the link to your, your Just Given page for that and oh, I hope I hope to God there's um there's video footage of the evening because um I think there'll be a few people. Want to... Are you wearing something sparkly? Well, I, I think I think my costume um is enough to donate to once you see what I'm wearing. Um, <laughs> let, I won't spoil it for them, but let's just say there's not a lot to it. <sighs> there, there we go. That is something to something to keep a wee eye on, but um. Mark, Mavis, Riley, we thoroughly appreciate your time tonight. Thanks for coming and speaking to us. It's been a long time coming. Last week we had a technology glitch. Um, a couple of weeks ago you were in Greece. Um, it's just we finally managed to get on the same page and get this uh, this chat done. I really, really appreciate it. It's been, it's been excellent and inspiring. And hopefully there'll be anybody listening there will go out and get the book, which I've got here. It's absolutely superb. As I say, it's got something in there for everything. It's not all just all about running. It's got your football career and their anecdotes. Ali McCoy's done a wee bit in it as well. So there's plenty in there for, for everyone. And once again, Mark, thank you for your time, my friend. No, it's my pleasure, Sam. Maybe I can come on again and after next June and I'll tell you about my my Jungle Ultra Challenge. Um, run the 143 miles through the Amazon jungle. So oh, hopefully if I survive, I'll after June next year. Is it all booked so, in? underway is it yeah flights are booked entered the race so yeah there's only I think only 50 people completed it in the last nine years a long course so so wow. I think uh, tough one yeah and we'll, we'll we'll track that every step of the way and any kind of charity thing just get in touch we'll happy to share it on all our socials as well for you to to keep going what's the marathon you're training for uh, oh, I've got Amsterdam marathon in October so um, that'll be my third marathon in a, a calendar year. So after that, I'll have a wee break for the marathon. So I'm hoping to do if I I'm hoping to do sub three. So if I do sub three, that'll be my third sub three in a calendar year. So I'm quite happy with that. An and then I'll get back to this stuff. That is an impressive old pace. Well, Amsterdam would be a good one to do it on as well. I believe it's it just goes out and is an out and back one. I believe Amsterdam. Yeah, I mean I, I did it a few years ago. It's a great course and it's obviously. It's flat, so it's a fast course. So we're a bit of luck. It has a nice course, well supported. It starts and finishes in the Olympic old Olympic Stadium, which ah, is a nice it, touch yeah. as well. Yeah, so no, it's a nice marathon. Brilliant, and we wish you every success with that, Mark. Enjoy your evening. Thank you again, my friend. 
No, thanks, Sam. My no worries. Take, Take care. care. Cheers, nice. See you. Bye-bye. Mark Riley, everyone. Again, namelesstownbooks.com. The Lives of Riley by, by uh, Mark Mavis Riley with David McCarthy and Dixon Telfer, forwarded by Ali McCoist. What a lovely guy. Um, it's a very inspiring book, and I'm delighted that he got his own episode there because he thoroughly deserved it. There was no point in sticking it in the end of a end of a podcast and with us with us talking about bloody Arsenal tea bags and and the like. So he thoroughly deserved this episode. I hope you've thoroughly enjoyed it as well. But we will be back in two weeks' time to discuss the Dundee match and look forward to the Rangers match. Danny will be back as well. Thank you for listening. We'll see you then. Bye bye. <laughs>